The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was relationships, and Navigators Church Ministries led a track called Disciple Making Relationships, Get Real and Go Deep. They've provided our listeners with a short free PDF resource called The Start Small, Go Slow Strategy, which leads readers through a pastor's journey to building a disciple-making culture. It's available for free at discipleship.org navigators. That's discipleship.org navigators. Now here's today's track session. Hello, my name is Justin Gravitt. I'm glad to see you here. Uh, I come from Dayton, Ohio. Uh, anyone go on an airplane to get here? Those start in Dayton, Ohio, which you guys probably realize, and lots of other things I won't bore you with. Um, it's my family. I'm a husband of one, father to four, and uh, we have a busy time at our house. If you are here, uh, I figure you're here for one of a few different reasons. One is you're here because you kind of self-identify as someone who is relationally challenged, somebody who's not a people person. When you read that and you thought, huh, I wonder what that's about. I want to check that out. Others of you maybe realize, well, I am kind of a people person, but I have people close to me that are not, and I'd like to learn a little bit more about them and maybe how to help them. And then there's other, others of you that maybe you were told to come to this, and you're trying to figure out, well, why am I here? I hope not, but maybe, right? Uh, I fit into most of those categories. So I've been awake to the fact that I've been, I am a non-relational person for about 20 years. I am an introvert. We're going to talk about what that means. Um, but for the longest time, I didn't have any people sense at all. And what I realized was that that was holding me back after relationally hitting my head against uh, a lot of people causing pain, uh, causing myself pain. Uh, I realized there was a problem. And you know, that's true for many of us, isn't it? That, that we can see in disciple-making, when we think about disciple-making and talk about it, the first people in are the people who are people people. Relationals. Yes, spend time with others, talk to them about God, I'm in. Invite them to hang out with me, no problem. But then there's others of us who think, spend time with others? I don't know. Who are these people? Do I know? Do I like them? Do I even know them? Invite them to hang out with me? I don't know. What are we doing? What are we going to do for that whole time? I had that question for the longest time. So you're telling me I'm going to sit across from somebody or a couple somebodies and disciple them for an hour? What are we talking? They're going to look to me. I don't know what to talk about for an hour. And so we sideline ourselves. We sideline ourselves as non-relationals. You can go to the next one, Roy. So the next one still. So we are on the sidelines, partially because we sideline ourselves. We say, well, that sounds great for those other people, but me, you don't know me, I know me, that's not a fit for me. But you know what else also happens? We are sidelined by the relational people. Because I don't know if you realize this, but a lot of relational people, their self-worth and their identity is tied around other people liking them. And we just don't often give off those vibes when we talk to people. I know I don't. I've had people say to me, relational people, Justin, I've never met anyone like you. Because everybody else I can encourage and I can kind of see them light up and it kind of gets through. And 
You know, to you it just seems like it bounces off. And you know what I was thinking as she was saying that? I was thinking, yeah, that does nothing for me. <laughs> Your encouragement does nothing for me. That was 20 years ago. It would be a different story today. Because I didn't even process that she was trying to encourage me and, you know, lift me up a little bit. So I was just like, she was telling me things that other people had told me, so I was processing it mentally. Oh, yeah, I already know that. I've heard that before. I wasn't processing relationally. And so relational people, when we interact with them sometimes, they think, well, out of all the people I could disciple, I'm not choosing Justin because when I'm with him, I feel a little uncomfortable. Because all the, the, when I'm with relational people and I talk to them about certain things, I can see I'm getting through. But with me 20 years ago, you couldn't see you're getting through. And so I've had to learn relational skills the way people learn math. In books, with others tutoring me alongside. And so a lot of us, though, we don't even think about it. We don't talk about this subject, do we? We don't talk about the difference in the way that relational people and non-relational people engage with disciple-making, the way that they're interested in it or not interested in it. I want you to know, if you self-identify as a non-relational person, you are at home here. <laughs> You're at home here. Now, I was thinking, all right, so I have tables. The last session, I have been a participant at this uh, event two years ago. I have a sense of how you might be feeling after five, four different sessions, the large group sessions, and now another. Okay, here we go. We just had lunch. Right? But we're going to talk together and interact some around this issue of how do we not be sidelined? How do we not sideline ourselves? How do we not sideline, be sidelined by others? But then how do we grow into freedom from our relational difficulties? Disciple making must be relational. Must it? I don't know. <laughs> We hear that a lot, right? That's the line. Is that a biblical idea? What do we think? Let's think together, throw out. Any verses that we can think supports the idea that disciple-making must be relational? Yes. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 We loved you so much that we shared not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Excellent. Others? Acts 2.42-7 Tell us more. Mm-hmm. Meeting daily, fellowshipping in one another's homes. I was a missionary in Thailand for a number of years. Our first week that we were there in our home in a Thai neighborhood, our neighbors just walked into our house. Hey. <laughs> oh, hey. There's no knocking. But the idea of meeting together daily for non-relationals can sound exhausting. Why would anybody want to do that? But we do have that, right? That there is that need. Others, yeah. I was just going to say, Jesus said, come follow me. Mm -hmm. Yes, come follow me. He invited us into relationship, didn't he? When he invited his 12, what did he say? What is, does anybody know that? Mark 3, 14. Okay, that's Matthew 4, 19. That's okay. That's a good one, too. Mark 3, 14. He appointed 12, designated them apostles, that they might be with him. 
and that he might send them out to preach. Because what Jesus does in disciple making is he invites us into relationship before he sends us out to task. Or to mission is a more comfortable word. Okay? And so yes, it must be relational, which is precisely the problem for those of us who identify as non-relational. For those of us who struggle engaging with other people. Think of it this way. God has asked us to do two things. And boil it all down, there's two things. Love God, love others. What if the loving others part, you can see you're not so great at, and you don't even like it? It's a reality sometimes. And so what do we do about that? There's a lot of terms that we need to define before we get much deeper into this. First one's term, introvert. In our culture, the word introvert is thrown around synonymously sometimes with those who are socially awkward. That's not a good definition. Okay, an introvert is a person whose attention is aimed inward and whose energy is replenished through time alone. So I, I am an introvert, and so when I move through the world, my attention is focused in, in here. It's focused either on what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling. I'm not focused on others. I had to learn to do that. But naturally, that's not how I operate. And to replenish, to refuel, I need to get time alone. Or maybe just with my wife. But I can't, I can't refuel in a room like this. That's just not happening. So introversion, there's nothing wrong with it. About a third to a half of the population are introverts. We are an extroverted culture in America, very much so. Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say it's not necessarily pride, but it can become pride. Okay, and we will get further down into that later on. And just so you know, I wanted to mention this at the beginning, but I didn't. Uh, I'm going to have at the end, hopefully we'll have 15 minutes for questions as well. Um, but that's a great question. But what psychologists and psychiatrists will tell you is that this is inborn. This is not a choice that we're making, you know, to refuel that way our attention. That's, that's part of our design as people. Yes. Yes. And we will get to that. Next term we need to define, shyness. What does it mean to be shy? Shyness is excessive self-consciousness. Self-evaluation and preoccupation with self. So this is more we might think about, you could see how pride might be considered part of shyness. Shyness is something you do, it's not who you are. Shyness is something you do, it's not who you are. 40 to 45% of American adults describe themselves as shy. 90% of American adults would describe themselves as shy at some point in their life. So 90% can relate in some way about being shy. Now we don't use this word much anymore, do we? Shy, shyness. The word we use now is social anxiety. So the modern term for shyness is social anxiety. Now we have to distinguish a little bit because there's also a psychological phobia that is identified as social anxiety. That affects only about 2% of the population, and those people would not be here. These people that are suffering with that problem have trouble going to the store and making a purchase. They have trouble just engaging in everyday life. 
But commonly, we use the word social anxiety to refer to shyness now. And so we need to define all these terms to get to where we're going to go uh, together today. But let's think about the difference between shyness and being an introvert. If you see, two, shyness is the fear of social disapproval or humiliation, while introversion is the preference for environments that are not overstimulating. There were some of you in the room that when I said, let's just sit in silence for a few minutes, that loved that. And thought, finally, some peace and quiet around here. Right? Because we prefer environments that are not overstimulating. Shyness is the fear. Okay? Next, if you see two people standing in a wall at the party, any party, two people on the wall, the introvert is there because he wants to be. The shy person is there because he feels like he has to be. They're there because they're afraid. They're there because the, the person who is shy might be standing over here on the wall and looking at everybody else having a great time and thinking, man, I wish I could do that. I just don't know how. The introvert should stand there because he wants to be standing there. You're not afraid. You're just like, ah, just stand here for a while. Introversion is born. Social anxiety is made. What I found is that as I've walked the road in my own life, I've begun to be able to see in other people when they are dealing with the same things that I have dealt with and continue to deal with to a lesser degree. I not only see it in my church when I'm interacting with uh, lay people, but I also see it with pastors that I work with. You see, because the thing about shyness is it can morph sometimes. So sometimes we can be shy in social settings, but in our work we view ourselves as playing a role. And so we know, I know what a good teacher looks like or a good pastor looks like. And so they can go and initiate with people when they have their pastor hat on, but when they go to their wife's work party, they stand on the walks, they're afraid. So this runs deep. Okay? But imagine one of the biggest things God's asked us to do is your greatest weakness. That's the reality for some people. Here are some questions that shy people are asking of themselves, of their pastor, in the counselor's office. Why am I always uncomfortable around people? Why am I so afraid that expressing who I really am and how I really feel would make people reject me? I feel so lonely. Why can't I just get over this and engage with people? Why do I feel on guard in every interaction that I have? It's exhausting. And those of you that deal with this or have dealt with this, you know what I'm talking about. You can feel it physically. The tension and the guardedness that you feel when you begin to interact socially with people. Even if you're able to do it, internally you're like this, and you're tense. Why do I tense up when I walk into church, pass through a crowd, until I make it safely to my seat? You know the feeling. So what do we do? I want to root and illustrate even further what I'm talking about in some vignettes. 
Okay, so the first one we're going to look at is a guy named Bill. Bill's 43 years old and he's an accountant. He's an excellent father and Boy Scout leader. He's at a work party. He stands on the wall because even though he's trusted and competent at work and at home, social situations are his weakness. You'd never know it by looking at the guy. But as a kid, he was picked on for being clumsy and just different in general. His self-image is not quite good enough, drives him to excel in many situations. But at parties, he just doesn't know how to blend in. Showing up to the party was an act of courage for him because for the entire hour that he stands on the wall, he feels trapped, embarrassed, and out of place. Bill makes an effort, but after an hour, he goes home feeling ashamed and like a failure. But as he drives home, he reminds himself, well, at least I went. At least I went. Next, there's Holly. And as I'm reading these, I want your antenna to be up about the similarities and differences that you can see in these people. Holly's 28 years old at a church picnic. She's a nurse and mother of two. She stands behind the food table ready to act whenever the food begins to run low. Wherever she goes, she helps any way she can. She, her, such readiness to lend a hand earns her praise. And after all, we're never more like Christ than when we serve. It's true, but there's a deeper truth that Holly carries with her. She stays busy to avoid the deep discomfort she feels when talking with strangers and acquaintances. For as long as she can remember, such situations cause her brain to go blank. She's never sure what to say and hates how exposed she feels in those situations. When the picnic ends, she helps clean up. And as she leaves, she collects her thank yous and goes home feeling good about serving, but wishing she could connect more deeply with others. Finally, there's Alan. Alan goes to a child's birthday party. He's a high school English teacher. And he's taught at a Christian high school for the past eight years. At school, he's engaging and assertive. In his mind, that's what great teachers look like. His quick wit and warm smiles have made him a favorite of both students and faculty. Today, he's driven his seven-year-old daughter to a friend's party and he brought some papers to grade. He finds a seat off to the side of the party room and starts grading. After a while, another adult walks up and offers him some cake. Without looking up, he says, no thanks. An hour later, his daughter appears in front of him as the party ends and they go home. Alan leaves feeling happy because his daughter had a great time and he got most of his grading done. Three different situations, three different people. I want you to talk around your tables, or those of you who are back there, just threes or fours. And I want you to share, what did you hear? What were the similarities? What were the differences? And then we're going to talk about these three people and what's going on with them. Okay, so go ahead. Okay, let's come back together. Let's come back together. What I want to hear from you guys is what were you talking about? What were the similarities that you saw? What were the differences that you saw? Okay? There's a lot of talking, so I know you have things. What did you see? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so they all did really well in their work environment and professional lives. Excellent. Other similarities? Yeah. 
parents. All parents, okay. They all went. They're all what? They all went. They all went. They all engaged somewhere, right? Life demands that of us, doesn't it? <laughs> they all went. They didn't all engage with people, but they all went and engaged with some event, right? Okay. All right. Yep. So they physically went somewhere, right? What else? Some use tasks to avoid interaction. Mm hmm. Some use tasks to, to hide, really, right? Yeah, so that was a difference, right? So why did he do that? Hey, he wanted to grade papers. Task-oriented. Was Alan an introvert? And did he have shyness issues? Not that we know of. All we can see is that he is exhibiting the traits of an introvert. But also somebody who is non-relational. Right? Somebody comes and offers him a piece of cake, he doesn't even look up. No thanks. <laughs> right? No others awareness. If you were here in our last session, he does not have others awareness. But we can't see any indication that he's shy or deals with social anxiety. He did say thank you. That's something. Could have been worse, right? <laughs> others, similarities, differences. Okay. Avoided engaging, being disapproved. Hmm. Mm hmm. So Holly seemed to be possibly seeking approval, right? She's certainly getting a lot of approval. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And so Bill. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Isn't that interesting? Because if we knew Holly in our church communities, we might never know. Well, we might put her up on a pedestal. Look at what a great servant she is. But her heart was not doing it to serve. In her heart, she was hiding. I think there are lots of hollies in the church environment. I think you're right. Yeah, I think there are a lot of hollies in the church environment. Men and women, right? And I think there are introverts and extroverts hollies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great point. So, you know, extroverts can have social anxiety too. You know what they look like? They're the people that come and they talk your ear off and they don't have any other's awareness. Or they're so over the top they have to be the center of attention all the time. They don't know how to engage. But they're engaging in a different way. right? Whereas introverts with social anxiety will tend to withdraw. Extroverts with social anxiety will engage and a lot of times it's over the top engagement. But you're right. Great insight. Other things you guys observed. And so that was to help us illustrate and to see that, remember that quote, if two people are on the wall, the one that's an introvert's there because he wants to be. Those with social anxiety are there because they feel like they have to be, they feel trapped. So Alan, the guy who didn't talk about feelings, he doesn't feel trapped. He's doing his thing, right? But he's also not aware of others. Let's think about if a disciple maker was looking for someone to disciple, how might they respond? to these three people. Here's what I think. I think if someone was looking at Bill, now we're thinking about um, not experienced disciple makers, but new ones. People who haven't done this much. Okay? With Bill, here's how I think people experience Bill. His colleagues like him, but feel pushed away by his presence. 
not in an active way, but in a subtle, our interaction really doesn't really matter to me kind of way. Disciple makers may feel intimidated by him and wonder if they could really help him. Externally, it looks like he has it together. And so they're unlikely to pursue him because it would be depending, they would be depending on other people wanting their help. And Bill's not putting that by about. He's got it together. Right? Holly. Those who know Holly wish they could be selfless like her. As they talk to her, they feel insecure because she never really engages back. She's polite, but sticks to pleasantries, and then conversation kind of dies. Disciple makers may feel insecure because she is such a great servant. Others may feel put off because of her disinterest in conversation and talking together. And so they're unlikely to pursue Holly because they don't feel like they're good enough to help somebody like Holly. Alan, some parents thought Alan was abrupt and a bit rude. He didn't talk or engage at all, but other people in the room envied his confidence to just do what he wanted to do with that time. Disciple makers may be put off by his lack of social skills, but I think out of the three, he's the most likely to have somebody approach him for discipling because he would be convinced that he needs it, right? He could be easily convinced, well, yeah, I guess everything in my head, he hears about disciple-making from a sermon or something like that, oh, yeah, I guess I should do that. And then he would engage, and other people might engage him. But as you can see, non-relational people are not putting off vibes. Hey, you could really help me. I'd love to spend time with you. So what do we do? But before even what do we do, what are the roots? Because we want to get down to the roots of what is causing social anxiety. What is causing shyness? Introversion, that's born. That's fine. There's no need to do anything about that. But our lack of ability to engage and to love others, that's what we need to think about. You see, I came to a point in my life where I realized other people didn't enjoy being with me. They didn't run away. I mean, it wasn't like a horror scene or anything. But when I would talk to people, I mean, I felt uncomfortable. And then I kind of felt like they were uncomfortable. And then, you know, it was, you know how it goes. So then, you know, I realized, okay, well, people that I'm acquaintances with, they're first going to talk to other people. And if I happen to be around, they're talking to me. And I had to deal with the fact that God had called me to love others and they were not experiencing love from me. It was hard. Now, I like to challenge people, so there are still times that people don't like interacting with me, but I know it's happening. And it's not all the time. And so if we are going to be a follower of Christ, let alone a disciple maker, God has called us to love others. Well, are we really loving them if they don't experience us as loving in general? I would suggest that we're not. And I'd also suggest that a lot of that is on our shoulders. So what are the roots of this and what do we do about it? Let's look at Bill. So Bill, in our description here, if you look at his self-image, we have a slide, I think, coming up. Um, he was always picked on growing up for being clumsy. 
and just different in general. His self-image is not quite good enough drives him to excel in many situations. Hurts. If you were with us last session, we talked about relational hurts. A lot of times we absorb these as children or whatever, and we develop, take those hurts, and then we view ourselves in a certain way. And then we act out of that image. And so for him, that's what it was. Let's look at Holly. Next one. So Holly stays busy to stay away from the deep discomfort talking with strangers and acquaintances bring. She hates how exposed she feels in those situations. So this doesn't tell us a ton about the root for Holly, but it does tell us why it continues. Because when those situations occur, she feels exposed. And that means when she is feeling exposed, she feels like there's something not quite right inside that others might see and run away from. Let's think about Alan. Oh, we'll do this quote first. So, control. So both of those are trying to control others. Okay? Both Bill and Holly. Control is our own personal version of the way we try to guarantee love and security. So we won't have to trust God. So the way that Holly manipulates others to giving her love, and that's a harsh word and I get that, and I'm not suggesting that for Holly it's even that conscious, it may or may not be. But what she is doing is she is trying to get love from others and she has found a reliable way to do that by serving. And it also conveniently keeps her out of those situations that make her so uncomfortable. And so for her, it does exactly what she wants. It keeps me from having to engage in those discomforting situations. And it also gives me love from other people. So she's controlling and manipulating. For Bill, he's getting that at his workplace. He's doing an excellent job. right? That's his goal. And so that others can look at him and think, man, he's really good at this. And they give him praise for being an excellent accountant. And so we manipulate people, sometimes even when it looks like we're trying to serve them. We're not. We're serving ourselves. So these are the roots. Alan. We talked about Alan. Alan was happy and had a good time. And White says she had a good time. He had a good time. And he was able to get most of his grading done. Alan doesn't have a shyness issue, as we said. He has an awareness issue, social awareness, others' awareness. Hurts impact our image. Next one. Uh, impact who we are. And we have a choice. Everybody on the planet has a choice. When we engage with others, are we engaging out of fear or out of love? Those are your two options. Fear or love. And it just so happens that these are two of the most common biblical themes. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. I'm with you. Over and over and over again. Love others. Love one another. I have loved you, so you must love one another. The golden rule. We need to go to the platinum rule. Golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. If we did that, we would just say, leave them, we'll leave them alone, because we want people to leave us alone. <laughs> just let them be. 
But as non-relationals, we have to go to the platinum rule. We have to love them the way that Jesus loved us and continues to love us. That's what we have to do. Because every time we engage somebody, and you can feel it, if you're non-relational, you can feel the tension. And you have to identify that, and we're going to get to in just a second, what do we do specifically? How do we help move out of this? But when you feel it, that's your antenna, that's your cue. I'm relating out of fear right now. God, help me relate out of love. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We are imprisoned by our fear. When we relate out of fear, we remain in that prison. When we begin to relate out of love, we take steps out. And much like prisoners who've been locked up for a long, long time, when they step out, they're unsure. They're apprehensive. What is this going to be like? Spiritual maturity cannot exist apart from relational maturity. It cannot. We have missed this in the church. We identify spiritual maturity as knowledge or doing. Alright, so at the top of that sheet that you guys have, first one, it says... Spiritual maturity is revealed more by our relating than by our knowing or our going. When I'm in social settings, church social settings especially, I love to do that with the pastors that I work with because I learn about who they are really. Not what they know, not all the ways they serve other people, but how are they engaging with people? Are they engaging out of fear or out of love? And I can see it because of my path and what God's done. How do we help those who are struggling? Three things. First one is awareness. We have to recognize that shyness is what we do, it's not who we are. Otherwise we're stuck. If it's who I am, I'm stuck, I can do nothing about it, but God didn't create us that way. He created us to engage and love others. The first thing we have to do is become aware of it. And when I help pastors and others uh, begin to take steps towards freedom in this. First step is I have to help them become aware. Some of them are like Alan. They're not aware at all. And so I ask questions. And tell me about, you know, at that picnic, why, what did you do? Who did you talk to? Oh, I was busy keeping things going, you know, this, that, and the other. Oh, interesting. Is that what you normally do? Well, you know, I do what needs to be done. Huh. Okay. And so we begin to talk. What about other situations? And so those that we're discipling, if we want to know who they are, we need to experience them in different situations so that we can see that. I cannot see that when I just meet with somebody across the table at the same place every other week. So i got to go be with them in things that I'm doing or things that they're doing. The other thing we need to help them become aware of is the why for them. So just like we saw for Bill, you know, he is made fun of. Holly doesn't like how she feels. Uh, for me, the guy that helped me first in this, he said, Justin, I realize that you don't really talk to people at our large group meeting. Why is that? And I said, oh, I don't like small talk. It's kind of pointless. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, I'm supposed to ask them, how are you doing? I don't really care. They're going to ask me. <laughs> so I said... 
They're going to ask me how I'm doing. They don't really care. It's just this game that we play, and I'd just rather not play it. And so I didn't play it. And he said, he said, Justin, have you ever thought that maybe you could help somebody by engaging them and asking them that question? I said, no, I have never thought about that. So I've not been in that situation other than on the student side. So as a student, yeah, college, you get participation grades. I didn't care. I'm like, all right, dock me 20%. That's fine. You know, just do whatever. Um, so I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not the guy to answer that one. Um, But we have to uncover the why. So for me, I had to uncover and I had developed over time a view of myself that I'm not good with people. I'm just not. And not only am I not good, I didn't really mind that I wasn't good because my heart for people was not developed. And for disciple makers, when they look at people like us, they might say, well, they don't really care about people. Well, sometimes that's true. The other times it's not true, but they just can't see it because of our social anxiety and shyness issues. We really do care and want to engage, but we just don't know how. And so we get passed over and sidelined. So we need to help people become aware of the root. Where does that come from from you? A great book on that, uh, Understanding People by Larry Crabb. Larry Crabb has a lot of great resources on uncovering what is going on in there. And why are you relating the way that you're relating? Inside Out's another great one that he has published. So awareness is the first one. Authenticity. So this is one of the first problems or first obstacles that we come to when we start helping somebody through shyness issues is the authenticity thing. Because what we're encouraging them to do is to engage with people and in our culture we have to engage with people in certain ways. And so we have to ask, how are you doing? Well, yeah, I need, I need to ask that, but I really don't care. So you tell me I should ask anyway? Yeah, you should ask anyway. Okay. And what about when they, they ask me how I'm doing, and the reality is, I'm not doing well because I don't even want to be there. What am I supposed to say to that? Am I just supposed to say good? Yeah, that'd be fine. Say good. <laughs> so, right, hurtful event, whatever that was, we can trace it back a lot of times. The belief about ourselves, the image about ourselves, and then the goals that we have, so that's manipulating, right? So how can I, how can I stop that from happening anymore? Well, I can become really good in my field, and then people will praise me for that. And then I don't have to worry about the personal connection, because people will come to me in admiration. And then behavior, so that's the outworking of that. But the, the authenticity. So what I help people figure out is you need to get to the deeper truth. And so when you're talking to somebody, when you stop talking to them, you... A lot of socially appropriate to say, it was really nice talking to you. Now the reality is, you might have wanted that conversation to end 10 minutes ago. Because it wasn't so great talking to them. And that is true, but there's a deeper truth. There can be a deeper truth. And the deeper truth is, God has called me to love people. And I'm trying to show love to this person. And even if I failed in that or don't know how I've done in that, what is the deepest part of me is that God has given me an opportunity to show love to this person. And so I can look at them and say, it was nice talking to you. Or I can look at them and say, I've been looking forward to seeing you today. 
Now the reality is, on a certain day, I might have wished that they'd canceled. I mean, that's just a reality for some of us. But we can get in front of and say, I've been looking forward to this because at the deepest part of who I am, God has called me to love others and He's given me another opportunity. And so for a lot of non-relationals, when we start walking through the process, when we hit that obstacle of authenticity, it really helps us to move through that because I can be authentic and socially appropriate at the same time. And a lot of times we don't feel like we can until we understand that deeper truth principle. So awareness, authenticity, and finally action. So where is the front line for you to engage this battle or for the person that you are working with and helping to engage the battle? For some, it is a work party coming up. For others, it's I'm going to go to church instead of making a beeline for my seat. I'm going to choose to find somebody and ask them how their week was. And so, you know, I can't tell you where that is or where it should be. It's going to be different for every person. But as we're engaging people in that, we can help them process it. What do you think that looks like for you to take a step out of your comfort zone? to try to love somebody and not protect as much. And you have them do it and they come back, how did how'd you feel? What was that like? How'd it go? And sometimes we need to coach them on people skills. Other times we just need to encourage them because they will probably feel awkward. Okay, well, yeah, you felt that way, but the more we do it, the less you feel that way. And even if you feel that way, what does God call us to do? Awareness, authenticity, and action. A relational mindset. Okay, in a moment I'm going to have you return to your table discussions. And I want you to talk about uh, those three things. Awareness, authenticity, and specifically action. Now, there are some non-relationals in the room. Um, around your tables, you don't have to talk about yourself. You could say things like, well, I think if I was helping somebody, you know, this might be a good place to start, or this. And so just so we know, we can create a little bit of that distance that might make us feel a little more comfortable sharing if you need that. If you don't, that's okay. Okay, but let's take uh, seven minutes, and we're going to engage around, those around the table on those questions. Awareness, authenticity, specifically action, spend most of your time there. And then we'll share back, and then we'll have a little bit of time for questions. All right, let's come back together. Wrap up your conversations. What were the things that came out of your discussions? What were some of the things that were shared around your table? What were some of the things that were raised as you guys were interacting together? Okay, we're with me? Okay, what do we hear? What do we talk about? I see all talk before I start again and then silence. Okay. Yeah. What did you guys discuss? What came out of those discussions? We did a lot of discussions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the interaction, right? I've seen, I don't know who said this, but uh, somebody said, introverts don't know how to make friends, they get, just get adopted by extroverts. <laughs> <laughs> <You hear that? laughs> 
I thought of that and I was like, huh, there's some, there's some truth there. I can see that in my own life sometimes. But so normally we're open, right, when people are interacting with us and they're easy to talk to, great. Um, and so, yeah, but the interaction, there is, there's a whole other workshop we could do on that. Other things that came out of your discussions? Yeah, excellent. So preparing something beforehand, right? So this is big. So I have a disciple-making scale that I've written about. There's the relational side and the intentional side. And people who are intentional are normally non-relational. Okay, and so the relational people, what I work with them a lot on is becoming intentional. Well, how do we do that? Well, those of us who are non-relational, we're normally pretty intentional. And so we can take the time before we get into a situation and think, okay, what, am I, what can I ask today? What I have to do is think about what am I going to share today? Because for me, I always get, get slipped up by the question, how's it going? What's new? I, uh, I don't know. And so I think about, as I'm driving to a social setting, I will think about, okay, I'm going to get that question. What am I going to share? What am I going to share? And sometimes I forget, you know, in the situation. My mind will go blank, and I still do that. I think, okay, you know, that's all right. Um, another simple acronym that I use a lot in those set settings is FORD. Uh, F is for family. O is occupation. R is recreation or hobbies. And D is dreams. This is so helpful when you're at a wedding or some other place where you're going to be talking to people. And, you know, if you don't talk, our culture is it's awkward, right, if you're not talking. Not every culture is like that. That's a, that's a means of being an extroverted culture. Yes, family, occupation, so what do they do for work? What's their family? What do they do for work? Recreation, so what do they enjoy doing when they're not working? Why do they like that? So we can, you know, big conversations to have. And then the last one is dreams. Where do you see yourself in three years? Or what do you, what do you feel like God is doing? If you're talking to a believer, or what do you, where would you like to be, you know, career-wise? I mean, there's all sorts of things. So for me, that's just an anchor that helps me. That when I'm in that situation, I can't think of anything to ask. I go back to those. Well, when I ask you those things. What, say that again? Whenever they say, well, what about you? And they ask you the same question back. Right, that's great. So I, I actually like that now because my, and I'm a, so what I find is people are either askers or talkers. I'm very comfortable asking. I'm less comfortable talking. And I'm really bad right now. This is one of the things I'm currently working on. But I'm really bad at just sharing things when somebody hasn't asked about it. My dad and I are complete opposite. <coughs> My dad will share with anybody, you know, and it's not, it's not like he's talking your ear off. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, you want to hear it? Uh, I really struggle with that. But he doesn't ask a lot of questions. And so growing up, I, that was a struggle for me because I interpreted that as he wasn't that interested in what was going on. His take, as we've talked about it, was, well, I didn't want to intrude. I thought if you had something you wanted to share, you'd tell me. All right? <laughs> We're on both sides. So we're askers or talkers, naturally, yeah. Well, relate to that. Right. Exactly. Yep. And that's where we have to get to that platinum rule, right? Because some things that work for lots of people, you know, when people are doing it to me, it doesn't do anything for me. But I've had to learn, well, most people are not like me. And so when I can help and engage and encourage, that really seems to bond and, and get a lot of trust, right? And allows me to love them the way that God has called me to love them. All right, we have about 10 minutes for questions.
Yeah. So are you talking about reaching them in terms of social skills, engaging others, stuff like that? Um, yeah, I start right away. So I have, you know, you saw my family, eight, six, four, and two. Uh, we have conversations and we have people over to dinner. Everybody but the two-year-old has to ask a question to the people that are there. And we'll ask, we'll say, all right, they're coming over, what are you gonna ask? And so we're thinking about it beforehand. We've talked about why we do that. Because we don't want them to feel like they're just, you know, along for the ride. And part of my story is I was never taught any of those things. And yes, because there's teeth. And so there's a consequence. And so for my kids, you don't ask a question, there's something that happens, right? Because we expect them to do what we ask. Um, and so I would have, but I wouldn't have seen the value until I was older. But what we're trying to show them and teach them is, here's why. Because we want to love people. You want people to love you, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, here's a way that we as people interact. You know, you, they're going to ask you something about school probably. You know, you need to ask back. Now with my eight-year-old, we're to the point where, all right, you should ask a question. The other thing I want your intent up for is if somebody asks you something, if you can ask them that same question back, you need to do it. Now, sometimes that doesn't work, right? So how's school going? Well, they're not in school. And so she hasn't done that, but I say, well, what you can ask then is you can ask about how their job's going. And so these very basic fundamental people skills that honestly, I feel like most people just intuit growing up. They just get absorbed. But for me, it never went in like that. I wasn't aware and I didn't know it. And then I went off and, you know, there are a lot of consequences uh, both in my work life and in my personal life uh, as a result of not being aware of things because people made judgments about who I am in my heart uh, because of all that. Yeah. So how did I start becoming aware and what was the catalyst? So the catalyst was men who was investing in my life, discipling me. Um, the first guy I told you, that was the first conversation, the small talk one, that I had a bell go off. Um, another one was the encouraging conversation that I mentioned earlier. But I felt God calling me into vocational ministry, and this is how far back I was. I didn't even process that that would be a relational thing. <laughs> Not at all. I had a love for God and a love for His Word, and I thought the more I know God and His Word, the more impactful I'll be in people's lives. And I was partnered up with a guy who was the ideal people person of the world. We, we'd go into groceries and he'd get free stuff from the checkout ladies and I was like, what is this? Um, and so after a month of living with this guy and pioneering a work on a campus, he had guys coming over to our apartment like every day, knocking on the door, hey, it's Drew around, it's Drew around, you know, I'd be answering. And one day it was a guy that I had been trying to interact with and chase down and he kind of knocked on the door and I thought, oh, it's, you know, somebody here to see me. And we talked for a little bit, and he's like, hey, is Drew around? Like, <laughs> but what Drew, what Drew would say to me was, he would say, man, I wish I knew the word like you. And I wish I knew God the way that you knew it. So I knew that it wasn't just in my head that I thought, well, I know God and his word better than Drew, but yet he's having such a greater impact on people. Why is that? And I had to come face to face with that, and it was really hard. Uh, and so what I did, somebody had given me a book called Becoming a Person of Influence uh, by John Maxwell. And I, re I had read it before, and I didn't think much of it. I was like, yeah, it's basic, yeah, integrity, love people, yada, yada. Um, but I never asked the question, well, am I actually doing this in people's lives? 
And so I could see the stark difference and I was missing something. And so I just started reading that book and I outlined it and I read it probably 10 times. And then I would take each chapter and I would say, okay, this week I'm gonna work on encouraging. And so that was my point of action, right? And so I would say, okay, well, I'm not encouraging people, so I'm just gonna to try to encourage people this week. And then I'd go on to the next chapter. And I did that for years. Uh, and I would ask people, you know, tell me about what, how do you experience me? When we think about spiritual maturity, and I said it before, it is revealed more by our relating. Because isn't the heart of discipleship, the heart of making disciples, it's about who we are, not what we know. We are the messenger, we don't bring a message. We do bring a message, but the message is us. And so for me, and you guys all know this, there are certain people that when you sit down with them, you are very comfortable and it's easy to talk to them and you feel accepted. And there's other people where it's hard to hold a conversation with them and you just feel like, ah, I don't want to be doing this right now. And I want to be the type of person that when people sit down with me, they feel comfortable and open up. I feel like if I'm doing that well, that's why I see Jesus doing. I mean, look at his interactions with people. And so what are the things in me that are holding me back from that? And that's where I have to engage. So that's a long answer to a good question. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. The message you just heard was from Navigator's Church Ministries track called Disciple Making Relationships. Get real and go deep. Make sure to download their free PDF at discipleship.org slash navigators. In addition to this podcast and that resource, you'll find other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker. Thank you.